0: And so Daniel chapter 9, and uh, starting in verse number 20, it says this. I'll read down to verse number 27, just get the whole context, and then, but I'm not going to preach it all today. It says, And whilst I was speaking and praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, <clears throat> even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the same time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Those are the six uh, that we're talking about. Now know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's talking about A.D. 70. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, <clears throat> and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would just help us as we get into this lesson today, that Lord, you would help us to learn something from We're so grateful that you've given us the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to learn today and to grow and to. So this chapter, it started, it's actually three different sections here. You you have uh, Daniel discovering the number of weeks with Jeremiah's prophecy. And then you have the prayer of Daniel. And then, of course, you have the 70-week vision and prophecy. And so discovering the number of weeks that Israel would remain in servitude to Israel, he realized that the Lord had commanded the Sabbaths to be kept and that captivity or removal from the land to allow the land rest would be the result. And so, basically, why the captivity took place is they missed 70 years of Sabbaths. So, they were in the land for 800 years. 490 of those years, they were not, they were not allowing the land to rest on the seventh year. And so, the Lord says, I'm gonna keep you in captivity for those 70 years. And then, of course, that, that means that it's 490 years that they weren't obeying the Lord. So when you get down to the the 70-week prophecy, it ends up being 490 years. And so you see how the Lord is very just and very uh, specific with his judgments, amen? And so uh, the restoration that Daniel was looking for from Jeremiah required confession. We saw that last week, and I hope you uh, remember that, which Daniel immediately did in obedience to God's word, this vision was god 's answer, so the seventy week vision is god 's answer to, to daniel 's prayer He on the heels of that prayer he gave this vision. So the next section of Daniel chapter nine is one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament, if not in the whole Bible, right here in Daniel chapter nine. It is really the keystone, the center prophecy that keeps everything balanced in the scripture that 's why a lot of people talk about the rapture, they say I believe this, that, or the other. And they don't even have a clue about Daniel chapter 9. Don't even listen to those guys. They don't even have a clue what they're talking about until you understand Old Testament prophecy and the keystone prophecy, which is the 70th week prophecy. It is so vital. And we're going to get into the the nuts and bolts of that next week. Today, we're just going to look at the six-fold plan that God had with this prophecy. Someone once said that this, this prophecy was called the backbone of prophecy. Without this prophecy, Matthew 24 and 20 to 25, Mark 13, Luke 21, and much of Revelation would not be understood unless you understand this particular prophetic vision here that Daniel's getting in Daniel chapter 9. And so very, very, very important. And many erroneous and false doctrines have come to light because people don't understand Daniel chapter 9. That's why they believe that Israel is going to be obliterated. They're set on a shelf and now they're gone. They're never going to be restored. That's an absolute lie. Folks, if you do that, if you believe that, you might as well just disc- discard your whole Bible because your, your Bible study method is completely whack. Amen. We believe in the literal grammatical interpretation of Scripture. That means what it says is what it means. That's the meaning of what God wants us to understand. You don't later on... Look back and say, oh, let's change it to mean the church now. It no longer means Israel. Now we're talking about the church. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not the way it goes, amen? That's bad Bible study methods. So number one, let's look at the prophet of the vision. So letter A, the angel came while Daniel prayed, okay? So that's what we see here in this passage. Whilst he prayed, the angel came to Daniel. And so we know that God reacts to prayer. Uh, we stir up spiritual activity when we pray, amen? That's important. And so um, we, we have a couple of things here I've written down, but you don't have them in yours. Uh, but what, what he was talking about while he was speaking, uh, the word speaking means arranging. You know when you speak, what happens when you're speaking to somebody? You're arranging things. When I'm speaking to you, what we're doing is we're putting things into perspective when we're talking, we say this, the other person says this. Oh yeah, and then say this, and oh yeah, I understand. And what we're doing is we're arranging the topic to be understood. So Daniel was not only praying, but he was speaking. I don't know if you ever done that when you're praying. Sometimes when I'm driving along my vehicle, my kids look at me like I catch myself talking. Then I look over and see my kids looking at me, like I'm crazy. I'm serious. And I say, "Uh, did I just talk out loud? (laughs) Yeah, you did, Dad. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) You know, but there should be speaking in your praying. (laughs) Amen. And so that, that should be a normal part of your prayer life is speaking to God and speaking out the truth and arranging that truth in your own mind and heart as God speaks to your heart. That's a part of prayer. And also he was confessing sin. That means to bemoan or to throw out. He was casting out the sin to God Uh, He was was confessing his own sin, it says there, and Israel's sins. So personal offenses, so Daniel was a sinner. Oh boy, maybe he shouldn't have been a writer of the book of the Bible. (laughs) Well, they're all sinners, amen? Every last one from Genesis to Revelation were sinners, and he understood that if God's going to do something here, I need to confess, not just... Israel's sin but my personal sin as well and so that's what he did he did his own sin his personal offenses also Israel sins the national offenses and interesting here I want to point this out because it's important later and whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin I'll use the next words of my people who's his people Israel Israel is, is his people So in the context of this passage, we know right now that the context he's referring to when he's saying my people is Israel. And that's the context of the whole chapter, all right? Just keep that in mind. So number four, we also, you don't have this one, I didn't have room, but it also says, I'm presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. And, uh, and so basically, the holy mountain of God, we're talking about, he's, he's thinking about the future, he's thinking about Israel, he's thinking about that heavenly city, he's talking about uh, seeing uh, that king on that throne, he's talking about the holy mount of God in Israel, amen? And his prayer means something, he wants to accomplish something, he wants to get his people back there, back within the will of God. And so anyways, let's move on quickly, letter B, God's prophetic messenger is Gabriel, Gabriel, so it says, even the man Gabriel. So yea, whilst I was yet speaking in prayer in verse 21, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, and he's referring to Daniel chapter eight, the ram and the he-goat. Gabriel appeared at that point as well to give him understanding, but he saw him again in Daniel chapter nine. And so number one, Gabriel is a chief angel that was sent to bring messages concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. So when you look at the context of Gabriel, every time he's involved in the scripture, it always revolves around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always, interesting. Uh, letter A: Gabriel revealed the timeline to when the Messiah would be born, not Daniel nine verse 25. And it says, "Now therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the prince." shall be seven weeks. So he's giving a timeline for Jesus Christ's birth. Amen? Now I understand, you've heard preachers before mention the decree and so forth, and it's not talking about Messiah the Prince, his birth. They are mentioning that it's the entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. That's what they say that's referring to. I don't believe so. And I'm gonna teach you why I don't believe so. I believe what's happening here with the 70-week prophecy, is he's giving us the the time of Christ's birth. Unto Messiah, the prince, is when Jesus was born. And that's why the wise men and the kings from the east, when they came, they knew the time because Daniel was from the east. Amen? And these wise men were from this place, (laughs) all right? And so they went there understanding this because Daniel wrote it here in Babylon. And, uh, and I'll give you other reasons, but the problem is people look at the timeline and say it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit because there's too much time. But folks, there's a very interesting thing you can find there: is if you will count up the time that Israel was actually building the temple, not just there, but building, it'll be exactly exactly 49 years. Exactly. You understand? See, that's why they say, oh, it can't be the decree of Cyrus. It's got to be the decree of Artaxerxes, the third king. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. There was a lot of emphasis given to Cyrus in Isaiah, in Jeremiah. I mean, Cyrus is the man. That's the decree that was given that kicked off this whole prophecy, is Cyrus's decree. Amen? And we'll look at that later. Uh, letter B, uh, Gabriel announced to Zacharias... The birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. So there was Gabriel again. What was he doing there? He was announcing the birth of John. Why? Because John was the herald of Jesus Christ. There we have Gabriel again. All right, and the Bible says that in Luke 1, verse 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. Whoo! This is a big deal, Zacharias. Don't you be talking against this right now. I just came from the throne room of God. Amen? You just better know your place here. And he goes on to say, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And that's why Zechariah, he couldn't speak until John was born, and they were debating the name. Oh, we'll call him Zechariah after his father. And he said, he writes down, John. And immediately he got his voice back, amen. He said, you wanted a sign, (laughs) you know, this is the sign. Okay, I know better for next time. There was no next time, amen. Letter C. Gabriel announced to Mary that she was chosen to conceive the Messiah. And so in verse 26 of Luke 1, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Zachari- Nazareth, Zachariah, <laughs> to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail! Thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. She's still a sinner though, amen. She needed a savior, you know that right, amen. All right, and it says, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Amen. There's Gabriel again. Can you imagine this guy's job? He's got a lot of time in between. Amen. I'm sure he's busy doing something else. But way back there with Daniel, saw Daniel, Zechariah, you know, Mary, I'll tell you. Number two, Gabriel appeared as a man. The word Gabriel means warrior of God. In the New Testament or the Greek, it has kind of a, the masculine to it meaning man of God. But angels, angelos the word are always in the masculine form okay so angels are never feminine sorry ladies there's no feminine angels only masculine but you know what it doesn't really matter because in glory it doesn't matter whether you're male or female Uh, there is no marriage there is no relationships like that amen but as far as we're concerned the way they appeared to people god always presented them in the masculine not in the not in the feminine all right Uh, number four Gabriel touched Daniel at the time of the evening oblation. Touch means he laid his hand on Daniel. Uh, he, hey, I'm here, you know. But it's, it's interesting that he said the evening oblation because the evening oblation was the time where they would do their sacrifices in the evening with the Jews. But the problem is they haven't done any sacrifices since they've gotten into captivity. But it's amazing, Daniel still ran his clock off of the Jewish uh, sacrifices. He said, this is the time of the evening oblation. You know what he would do? Instead of just not do anything, that would be his prayer time. So he knew. In the evening oblation, he would, he would still do what he could to get a hold of God. Amen. Even though the sacrifices have stopped because of the captivity. Right? And so, letter, D, letter C, God commanded Gabriel to go when Daniel started praying. So at the beginning of thy supplications... The commandment came forth, and so interesting. Gabriel's there, and Daniel starts praying. Also, a, a commandment comes from where? From the throne itself. Can you imagine that? The angel sent from God Himself. The moment that Daniel bows and prays, and He sends this angel immediately, and that's what He said at the beginning of thy supplications. The commandment came forth. Can you imagine that dynamic in heaven, where you're sitting there? And all of a sudden, God just pipes up, Gabriel, <laughs> go down to Daniel. <laughs> you know, the commandment, I don't know how we would say it, probably better than that. But you know, what an interesting thing. Wow, heaven's gonna be glorious to hear God's voice, amen? And he said that it, the commandment came forth. Letter D, Gabriel's mission was to bring understanding to Daniel. This is in verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me And said, oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So he informed, that means he attended, he considered. uh, It was cunning and and diligent. uh, So information, it wasn't just uh, uh, throwing it out there. We are diligent about it, we're cunning about it, we're attending and considering this information I'm giving to you. He talked, once again, that word means to arrange. So he's arranging ideas, right? And number three, he came to give skill and understanding And that means to be circumspect. What does circumspect mean? Skill and understanding. Pardon me? Careful. Careful. But you look at the word itself. Circum, we're talking about all the way around. So the Bible tells us in in Ephesians, it says, Be therefore circumspect. Amen? Always abounding in the will of the Lord. I think that's Ephesians. I think I'm off there. But you know what it means is all around. So diligently, everything involving what you need to understand to be circumspect. So he says, I'm coming here to give you skill and understanding. And so I want you to have understand perfectly and have perfect understanding and wisdom about what I'm telling you today. So letter E, Gabriel told Daniel he was greatly beloved by God, for thou art greatly beloved. Greatly beloved means delight, desire, goodly, pleasant, precious. Can you imagine God sending down a message from heaven through Gabriel and saying, Daniel, I just got a commandment from heaven. He just told me that you were greatly beloved. That's what happens when God says it through here too. Same thing. Amen. Greatly beloved. Because Daniel loved God, trusted God, obeyed God, God delighted in Daniel and was pleased with him. See, this word, it's not just the word where it says, for God so loved the world. So God loves everybody, but that's not what this word is. This word is a special word. He says, Daniel, you are greatly beloved, not just because God loves the world. (laughs) You are greatly beloved because you are pleasant to me. You are precious. Like who else would seek the understanding from Scripture and then go to the Lord in prayer immediately when he understood God's just watching this thing. He sees Daniel reading, understanding, seeking the meaning of Jeremiah's prophecy. He begins to understand it. He knows Leviticus. He knows all these things that are supposed to be said there. And he knows we're supposed to pray and repent. And God looks at Daniel. Daniel bows his head in obedience to the word of God. And God says, Gabriel, go down there. Tell him I love him. Tell him I- he's greatly beloved. Amen. But I'll tell you something. Folks, when we want to do right... God has that attitude towards us too. But you want to do wrong. The Bible says his face is against those that do evil. Against, not for them. Amen? And so I love that. I want to be greatly beloved too. I don't know about you. Because Daniel loved God. He was greatly beloved. God gives understanding to those that please him. That's why John 7 verse 16 it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That means those that are obedient will understand the will of God. Those that are not obedient, they're always trying to put the pieces together. I don't understand this. Well, do what, you know to, do what you know to do, and then God will give you the rest of the puzzle. Amen? But you've got to start with obedience. If you're not going to obey, I don't care how smart you think you are or how much school you got, you know nothing about the will of God. You've got to start doing the will of God to know the will of God. Amen? Anyways, number two, the people of the vision. It says, 70 weeks are determined upon, what's that word, those two words? (laughs) Thy people. (laughs) Now, who is he talking to here? Daniel. Daniel just said, hey, (laughs) thy people Israel. These are my people Israel. So the angel saying, thy people, who is he talking about? Israel. Context is Israel. That's important. So letter A, Daniel's people, Israel. Okay, determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. What's his holy city? Erdry, Alberta? (laughs) Jerusalem. You know what? Jerusalem's a holy city, but you know what? It's not your holy city. Have you ever, you know, lived your life saying, oh, that's my holy city? You know the Jews live every day believing that that city is their holy city? But you know what? God doesn't put that on our hearts, does he? (laughs) That's not something like, I've been there, it's, yeah, yippee, I'm here, great, you know. But it's not my holy city. God doesn't want us to have that same focus as Israel does. And so this is for Israel, the people Israel and the holy city. Now, I know there's people out there that are trying to make Jerusalem their holy city. And they're out there trying to help establish the temple. Remember this, if you want to get all excited about this temple they're building, that's the Antichrist temple. Don't be too excited about this temple, <laughs> Oh, I can hardly wait to they build <laughs> oh, why? Why do you care whether they build that temple or not? Because the Antichrist is going to put himself in that one. And when Jesus comes again, he's not going to go into that filthy temple. He's not going anywhere near that temple. So don't get excited about their temple. <laughs> There's going to be a temple. And the fact is, you go to the book of Ezekiel, it talks about that temple is going to be the size of the city that it is today. Just the temple. And the city will reach the coast of Israel, of Jerusalem. That's a different ball game. Amen? And so the temple that Jesus will rule from is not the one that Antichrist is going to set up his his, uh, idol in or himself as God in. He's building a new temple and it's going to be anointed as the holy temple of God. Amen? Anyways, uh, the church will not be included in any of the prophetic weeks of Daniel. Think about this. 69 weeks, 69 weeks, church wasn't there. 70th week, Church isn't there. Guess what? All 70 weeks that we're talking about here, the church is not there. Understand that. This is about Israel and Israel alone. So this time period is for Israel. The church was instituted after the 69th week and will be removed before the 70th week begins. This period or gap or pause in the 70-week prophecy is where the church reaches the world with the gospel before the Lord turns his attention back to Israel. That's where we are right now, right in this little interlude between the 69th and 70th week. And we'll look at that next week. All right. So the timetable of the 70-week prophecy is based on Israel alone. They lost dominion to the Gentiles. The whole reason for the 70-week prophecy is because Israel worshipped idols and God took them out of their land, that was a nation that was supposed to be the ruling nation of the world. It was supposed to be a world empire. Just like Babylon, Persia, Grecia, Rome, Israel was supposed to have that spot, but because they did not let God be in charge of their lives, God says, I cannot ha- let you have dominion. I'm gonna put you under Gentile dominion, and that's gonna be for 70 weeks, 490 years. Amen? So it's all about Israel, and the church is not Israel. <laughs> you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 32 says this, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Three groups, these are the three people groups in the Bible, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. Until Genesis chapter 10, or 12, you only have one group that exists, and that is what? The Gentiles. (laughs) In fact, you don't have any mention of Israel or Jews until Genesis chapter 12. Why? Because Abraham was the first founder of Israel based on what? How did that, was it by their language? You know, at Babel, God created nations based on languages. So they're building this big temple to heaven, and also their languages got confounded, and also they couldn't understand each other. So what happened? Well, they said, I can understand that guy over there. I don't know why, (laughs) you know. So they went and hung out with him for a little while. So what happened is these people began to segregate in different languages and they spread out throughout the world. Amen? So the Lord developed nations based upon languages, (laughs) except for one nation, Israel. Israel was a nation that God built upon what? a covenant. And he says, this will be your people. (laughs) They'll be like the sand of the sea. Amen. Based on faith. And based on the physical lineage of Abraham. Amen. So anyways. um, So the the Jews, the Gentiles, the Church of God, these are the three people groups of the Bible. It's good to remember that when you're studying scripture. Uh, Galatians 3.27, it says this. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that baptism is not water baptism. That's your placement into Christ at the cross, at his death. Baptized into his death. You are buried with him. You rose with him. All right? Then it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. So, In this dispensation, in this interlude of time, if a Jew gets saved, they get placed into the body of Christ. They no longer have their identity as a Jew as far as the biblical identity. (laughs) Now they got the identity as the body of Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. That middle wall of partition has been taken down. Amen? So you can't say that the church is Israel. (laughs) It's separate. It removes the distinction of Israel from you, even if you're a Jew and you get saved. Now, you're going to go to Israel. You're going to do Jewish things. You're going to (laughs) have Jewish family. But as far as the biblical definition of what a Jew is, if the Lord would come and and so forth, you would be taken out in the rapture with the rest of the body of Christ. Not to stay down here to inhabit Jerusalem (laughs) or to inhabit Israel. In fact, you will rule and reign with Christ throughout the world, (laughs) not congregate in Israel, all right? So the church is not going to live in Israel. That's not our place. We're not going to just hang around in Jerusalem all the time. We're actually going to be throughout the world, being a mayor, being a uh, a counselor, (laughs) whatever it is, throughout the world at some place, some geographical location, on this very globe, the one you're on right now, the dirt you're walking on right now, for a thousand years. After that, there's a new heaven and new earth, amen. But this one, the Lord is going to designate rewards by authority and cities that He'll get you to maybe a mayor or a, uh, maybe you'll be a premier or a prime minister or a president or a czar or whatever you want to call them. I don't know, amen. So, letter A. Israel is referring to the 12 sons, tribes of Jacob, Israel. So Jacob is Israel by birth. So when you say the people of Israel, what are you saying? The people of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So whenever they say the nation of Israel, they're saying the nation of Jacob, (laughs) all right? So that's important because you have never been identified with Jacob. In fact, the Bible tells in 1 Chronicles 16, 13, O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are on all the earth. So we are not identified with Jacob. Not one time in the scripture. You're not the children of Jacob, all right? But guess what? All the Jews are. They're the children of Jacob. They're the children of Israel. And so the promises made to Israel are not promises made to the church. They're made to the children of Jacob. Amen? Now, letter B, the church are the spiritually blessed of Abraham by faith. Amen? So Abraham, that is Jacob's granddaddy. Amen? So that's where we identify Not with Isaac. Isaac we identify because he's the promised son. So he's kind of a picture of Christ to us. But Jacob is actually two generations removed from Abraham. And we're not identified with Jacob at all. We're identified with Abraham. And so Genesis 2 verse 1 it says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. Now what nationality was Abraham right here? Was he... Jew, Gentile, or the church? Gentile. Gentile. He was a, he's not a Jew. He he came out of a Gentile world. They worship the moon god, they worship all these things. He was pulled out of that mess, and God says, There's something special in you, Abram, I'm gonna make a nation of you. In fact, in the Jews, that only started way later on. The word Jew comes from what? Jew. Judah. Judah. So later on, after the dispersion or the captivity of Israel, after the the 10 tribes were taken out of Assyria, and only Judah was left, they would call them Jews. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible talks... We'll get there. Give me a second. I'm going all over the place. It goes on to say here, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So we have national blessings, we have personal blessings, and it says... And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's where you fit in. That last phrase of that covenant, that is you. Say, can you prove that? Yes, I can. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 8, it says this. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Amen? So a part of that covenant that relates to you and I is not the one that's talking about the land borders and being as the sand of the sea and so forth. It's talking about the salvation, the gospel, where all the families of the earth will be blessed. Amen? So we're not Israel. (laughs) We are all families. All right? We are out of the all family section there. And so, number two, the 70th week, so the 69 weeks, and we'll look at this next week, and the 70th week is called Jacob's Trouble. Jacob's Trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So who's Jacob? Israel. Is that the church? Nope. So is the 70th week the church's trouble? Nope. It's Jacob's trouble, which is Israel's trouble. Amen? And so we need to understand that. Number three, those that are of true Israel will be saved at the end of the tribulation. So just because you're born physically through Jacob or one of the tribes down and so forth does not mean that you're automatically saved. There are Jews in hell, many, 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 or should I say Israelites in hell. Romans 11, it says this, verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted Contrary to nature, into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, who's these? Israel, which be of the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. So, in other words, the olive tree, what is it doing? Well, it's producing olives for God. Amen. This olive tree was designated for Israel. The branches were Israel. But what God did, because they rejected the Messiah, He says, I'm getting rid of your branches. And we're going to graft in different branches. Amen. But he says, guess what? Guess what's coming back? The old branches. I'm putting them back into the the olive tree. And that's talking about the restoration for the millennial reign. Amen. They will be saved. Goes on to say, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So, Israel is blind until. So that does not mean that Israel is gone and never coming back. It's actually giving you a time frame here that they are living in a time of blindness until, amen? And then they'll be grafted back into the olive tree again. (laughs) You see, So these people that believe that that somehow Israel is not going to be restored, they are very poor Bible students, very poor, and very poor uh, methodology in their Bible study. And so anyways, the fullness of the Gentiles is when all these, these empires and so forth are going to be dealt with and Israel will be placed back as a ruling nation and have dominion once again. And so, and it says, and so... All Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for your father's sake. So there again, you see the two groups again. Who's the enemies? The church? No, no, no. The enemies are these Israelites. So they are out there preaching the first century, who is the one opposing them? The Jews. He says, they're your enemies. But he says, as far as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So he didn't just trash them and say their purpose is over, we're not going to put them back no they those that group has always existed and will always exist and at the end of the seventieth week they 're going to be saved amen and that 's a good thing and so <clears throat> let 's see here i'll read jeremiah twenty four six it says For I will set mine eyes upon them for good and I will bring them again to this land and I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up and I'll give them an heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Amen. Salvation of Israel. Romans 2, this is really good. I like this one. Romans 2 verse 28, it says this. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. So, folks, this is not talking about the church. This is not talking about you. You are not a Jew. All right? What he's referring to here, he's talking, he's giving you a definition of what a real Jew is. A real Jew has a physical lineage, but a real Jew also has a spiritual lineage. They're the only ones that are going to be saved. There's no Jew that just can claim physical lineage and say, oh, I'm going to be in that ruling nation. Not one. But if they have that physical lineage and they have trusted the Messiah, see, without the Messiah, there's no fulfillment of promise. You figure all the promises given in the Old Testament, all the covenants, even the Abrahamic covenant, none of them will be fulfilled without Jesus coming. And when Jesus Christ comes, they will all be fulfilled, just like that, just kaboom, like that. Even when it says that bless them the blessing, curse them the cursing, the judgment of the nations. When Jesus Christ comes, the Abrahamic covenant will be completely fulfilled, and we'll see that here as we go along real quickly, like. So let it be Daniel's holy city, Jerusalem. It says that 70 weeks are determined not only upon thy people, but upon thy holy city. So Jerusalem has had a very central aspect of this since that time as well. Jerusalem was called Salem in Abraham's day, and was ruled by Mel- Melchizedek, a type of Christ. So if you look at that of Hebrews 7, 1 to 2, I'm not going to read it, but um, Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem, Jerusalem, amen? Later on, it was it was changed to Jerusalem. But that Melchizedek was actually the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a theophany, okay? He was not an incarnate Christ on earth. I don't believe that for a second. All right, uh, so... Number two, Jerusalem is regarded to the Lord right now as Sodom spiritually because of the rejection of Christ. So Jerusalem to the Lord right now, he is not too fond of it because they rejected Christ. Jerusalem is nothing without Jesus. If there's no Jesus, your Jerusalem means nothing. God is saying you're just like Sodom, same city as Sodom without Christ. Okay, so Christians don't get all excited going to Jerusalem and say, oh, God, he he looks at a Sodom, (laughs) you see, because they've turned away from the Lord. And that's pretty sad. But number three, Jerusalem will be that city that Jesus Christ rules from throughout the millennium. You see that in Zechariah 14, 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of the nations which is come against Jerusalem shall even go up for year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so during the millennial reign, they're all, we're all going to go to Jerusalem once a year to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. There are three major feasts. That's the only one left in the millennial reign. The other one's going to be taken out. Feast of Unleavened Bread, Uh, The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, you see. The only one left is tabernacles. Why is that? Because they would go out in the middle of night and they would dwell in booths, looking up into the stars. Why? Because there's one event left to take place. What's that? The city of God coming down from heaven. Heaven being joined to a new earth. Amen? So there's one feast left in the millennial reign. All right, so number four, the new Jerusalem will be the heavenly city that descends from heaven to earth. You see that in Revelation uh, 21, verse one, and I saw a new heaven, new earth, Uh, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So before this takes place, we have the great white throne judgment. That's the last final judgment at the end of the thousand year uh, millennial reign all right number two the plan of the vision number three sorry we're gonna get this done real quick all right so there's six things that I just want to I'll just give you the blanks and we'll be done real quick here I just want to read this opening paragraph um, 70 weeks 70 weeks is referring to 70 weeks of years 70 sets of seven equals 490 years Jacob served a week for Leah And another week for Rachel. If you go to that passage, it tells you that he fulfilled his week. That's a set of seven. That wasn't seven days. That's a pretty easy price to pay for a bride. Amen. Seven years. He spent 14 years working for the bride that he really wanted. At the end of this 490-year period, 49 period, these six things will have been fulfilled. All right. So 490 is important. And also think about that when Peter said to Jesus how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? what did Jesus say? Nope. 70 times seven, 490. Amen? He was giving a little insight here. He said, you just keep on doing it, man, till it's done. <laughs> you keep forgiving till you don't need to forgive no more. Because that's what Jesus Christ did with 490 years of waiting for Israel. So that's what I mean. You start messing with Israel's prophecy, you mess with all of that. Even Jesus saying, hey, you forgive 490 times. If Israel's not returning, then Jesus is a liar. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. He didn't forgive 490 times. 490 days of atonement. 490 times where the high priest went in to the Holy of Holies. You know? And that's how they'd always operate with Israel, always through the year, right? One time a year, Day of Atonement, right? Anyways. Letter A, threefold indictment against Israel. Number one, finish the transgression. So these are the things that are going to happen before the 70 weeks is done. This means that Jesus will halt all the rebellion of Israel and bind Satan for a thousand years. This word for finish means to restrict or to restrain. And I thought about that and said, okay, that's a weird definition. Why would you use restrain? Why not just say obliterate? (laughs) Because it's not over yet. Remember, he takes the devil, and he puts him in the bottomless pit, and rebellion stops. But it's only for a thousand years, because the Bible says, uh, let's see, Revelation 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan abound him a thousand years." So the the reign of Christ is more than a thousand years. The thousand years is referring to the time that Satan's going to be in the pit. That's where we get the thousand from, all right? Then it goes to say, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So he's saying, restrain, so for a thousand years, there's going to be no rebellion. Wonderful. There's rebellion today because of the devil. Every time there's rebellion, it's because the devil's involved. There's rebellion in the church, it's a devil. The devil himself is working in the church, amen. But when the devil is put in the bottomless pit, no rebellion. Now they do stupid things, amen. Through the millennial reign, they wouldn't come to the peace of the tabernacle. What did the Lord do? Withhold rain on their nation. He punished them. But it wasn't rebellion, it was foolishness. It's different it's, di- it's different to have a child that's just being disobedient than a child that is rebellious. Two different things. Amen. You better know what, which one's which. <laughs> Amen. Very, very important. So number two, make an end of sins. Jesus paid for the sins of the world to end all sin on earth. That's why in John 1, 29, when he came to be baptized of John in front of all the people of Israel, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So these six, uh, uh, six-fold plan, each one has to do with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one will show you at the end of the 70 weeks, it'll be dealt with. All right? I got to move quickly. Number three, make reconciliation for iniquity. Jesus Jesus became the atoning sacrifice so Israel could be brought back to God. So uh, the word reconciliation, it comes from the word to cover. And that's the same word that they use for atonement. The atonement was a covering over sin. Amen? And so that's what Jesus became, the covering. Uh, Hebrews 2 verse 70, I'm not going to read all that. But it says in Colossians 1.21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. All right, let's move to the next one. I got lots of verses there. You can look at those at home. Letter B, threefold blessing to Israel. Number one, he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. This means that Jesus will usher in a kingdom of righteousness. It's talking about the millennial reign. Uh, That's very good. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah 32, verse 1, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. Did you have that blank there? Was there a blank? There is no blank? Okay, that's good. And so... The king shall reign in righteousness. But not only that, well, I'll read to you Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And in his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Amen. But not just him being the Lord of righteousness, but also his people. And that's where Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, but this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sins no more. And so righteousness is purity of heart and rectitude of life, conformity of heart and life to the divine law, amen? Righteousness is where finally your heart has been conformed to the divine law of God. And that's what he's gonna usher in, amen, with that kingdom. Anyways, number, one, number two, it says, seal up the vision and the prophecy. All prophecy concerning Israel and its restoration will be fulfilled at Christ's return. Understand that. At his return, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, uh, the, the Palestinian covenant, the land covenant, all those covenants will be fulfilled in one second, just like that. Amen. That's a pretty good thing. Uh, It says, seal up, that means close up. Close up the vision, the sight, a revelation from God, an appearance or exhibition of something supernaturally presented to the minds of the prophets. And prophecy is a foretelling, a prediction or declaration of something to come. So what it's saying is, at the end of that 70th, 70th week, all the prophecies will be closed. Sealed up, closed up, amen? That's pretty important. At the end of that 70th week. So number three and finally, anoint the most holy. Jesus Christ will be anointed as king in his temple. Amen. So a lot of people think, okay, anoint the most holy. They say, maybe it's talking about the temple. And okay, uh, I don't mind you saying that, but I, I, I don't like that. <laughs> I like it's, it's, Every aspect of this has been around Jesus Christ. And I think this one is the crown of all of them. This is Jesus Christ. But I'll give it to you. He'll be in his temple. I'll give you that much. (laughs) Amen. But the anointing is for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being the King of righteousness, sitting on his throne in the temple in Jerusalem. Amen. That's what I believe this is talking about here. All right. And so, um, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That day he came in when they put palm leaves before him. Oh, if he could have just gone up to that throne. I just say, Lord, just you know, take a right. <laughs> take, just go that way. No, no, couldn't go right. As his mind is focused, he's, no, I can't go to the throne. I can go to the cross. Oh, just put on the crown of gold. No, no crown of gold, crown of thorns. He said, oh, no, my people need redemption, (laughs) amen. But you know what? That opened the door that day when he made that decision to go to that cross that he could come again and sit upon that throne in his holy temple for Israel, but not just for Israel, for his church. And we're gonna rule and reign with him forever. And that was a gift to us. Think about that. I'm glad that the Lord didn't bring in the, in the kingdom at that point, you know? Because he gave us all this time now as a church, as a body of Christ, to to rule and reign, to, to build up rewards and crowns that we can rule and reign with him. Folks, you think about this, Revelation 13, he says that he's gonna come again and on his head will be many crowns. You think about that, many crowns. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what many crowns looks like, but you know what, I wouldn't doubt if all of our crowns, that we get rewarded of. We put it back at his feet and he puts it all together and wears it all on his head when he returns in the second coming. And then when that's all done, when that intermediate period after the return of Christ, the 70th week shuts down, there's a 75-day period you see in Daniel chapter 12 that he does a bunch of things there. The casting of the devil into the bottomless pit is one of those. And the marriage supper of the lamb, I don't believe it's going to be up there. I believe the marriage supper of the lamb is going to be down here. I believe it's going to be the one thing he's going to do right at the beginning of the kingdom. He's going to have a marriage feast for the bride. Amen? But it's not the bride that's going to be honored. It's going to be the bridegroom. Amen? And that's why the Old Testament saints are all going to be there. John the Baptist said, "I'm a friend of the bridegroom." Right? They're only resurrected at the end of the tribulation. So I believe the marriage supper of the lamb is going to take place one of the first things that we're going to do in the kingdom is have a feast. Wonderful. Amen. What a wonderful